Well, good morning once again, Connection Point Church. So good to be here inside where it is dry, right? It's dry in here, maybe not in my house. I got a video this morning from my wife showing me where it was raining inside the house. It's just been one of those days. We'll take care of that and deal with it after church. I'm sure it'll all be okay, and hopefully the ceiling isn't laying in the floor or anything like that. Um, that would No raccoons, no. I hope not. None of that either. Man, what a great Sunday we had last week, huh? I mean, didn't Jack and Sheila do a fantastic job? Would you like to have them back again? Good. I'm glad you said that. I already booked them for next year. <laughs> it would have been kind of awkward if you're like, no, we don't ever want them back again. I'm like, well, one of y'all can call them then. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, uh, they did a great job. They do an incredible job of speaking for life. They do a great job of uh, standing against the narrative that says not all life is really life. The world tells us, or the word tells us to stand against injustice, and they do just that. They're standing up for those who do not yet have a voice, and they're bringing healing to those who are carrying the weight and the guilt of shame. And they do it, as they said last week, as they repeated over and over and over again. They do it by sharing the word. Because it's the word that brings healing. Amen? Well, this morning we're going to jump back into the word. We're going to be back in Thessalonians. We're going to knock out the rest of chapter 2 this morning. And if you'll go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, in week 1 of our study, we... We were introduced to the church there, the, the Thessalonians, and not last week, but two weeks ago in our, in our second week of the study, um, Paul really gave a defense of himself, and, and he, he gave us some characteristics that he really has in his life, and the fact is there are characteristics we should have in our life as well, because we are all ministers of the gospel. We are all called to, to carry the gospel message, and as such... We ought to have those characteristics of the, the minister that, that Paul shows us so well. I believe, though, that the way that the people are represented here in 1 Thessalonians in Paul's letter is a great example of how to live in a midst of persecution. I think it speaks to us today and where we are in society today. Now, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, he tells us that when the time of the Lord's return draws near, he says perilous times will come. And in fact, he says this, he says, uh, for, for men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does any of that sound familiar? We are living in those days before Christ's return. The times before us are perilous. The question, though, becomes how do we respond? How do we respond during these times? Do we respond as, as Paul describes in 2 Timothy, as he describes these people in the last days? 
Or do we respond as true believers, like those he describes in 1 Thessalonians? Now, the, the letter to the Thessalonians speaks of a time during which the, the church was under great persecution. And it speaks of how the body of Christ responded. And, and I believe it serves as a guide as to how we too should respond, how we should live our lives out as the time of Christ's return draws near. If you've got your Bibles there in 1 Thessalonians, let's begin in verse number 13 of chapter 2. Paul says this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in who, in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins." But wrath has came upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? at His coming, for you are our glory and joy. Let's take a, a little deeper look. We're going to spend most of our time there in verse number 13 this morning. Again, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. There's some things I want to point out there in that scripture. The first thing I want you to see is there was something unique about this church. Now, it was a young church, as we've talked. It was a church that were filled with people who were once idol worshipers. But when they heard the word of God, when it was presented to them, they had an about face. They turned away from what they were doing. They turned away from the way they were living. Everything about them changed. And there was something about this group of people, something about them that caused Paul, the writer of about half of the New Testament, to take notice. It caused him to say, we, meaning Paul, Timothy, and Silas, we continually thank God for you. What was it about this church that set them apart? Well, if you've read some of Paul's other letters, you'll notice many of those other letters have quite a bit of correction in them. But here in this letter, he's pointing out some of the characteristics of this church that was very pleasing to this group of preachers, so much so that he says, we thank God for you. We thank God continuously for you. And the first thing Paul says is this. He says, you welcomed the word of God. You may think and read that and you're like, what's the big deal? I mean, he's writing this letter 
to a church, right? You would, you would think he's writing a letter to the church. The, the church should welcome the word of God, right? Well, you would think so. But I think we can't just kind of glance over that. I think we, there's, there's a lesson there to be learned. How many times have we heard the word of God either preached or read something in Scripture, and rather than welcoming that word, we push back against it? Maybe, maybe sometimes in, in hearing or reading Scripture, we recognize the need for the word in someone else's life. We heard a pastor say something, and we're like, man, so-and-so should have been here today. The pastor is absolutely reading their mail. I know if they were only here, maybe they would change. While at the same time rejecting, or at the very least, resisting the word for our own life. The funny thing is, many times when we recognize the need for the word in someone else's life, it's because of some offense that we're carrying towards that person. They did something wrong to us, or at least that's how we see it, or how we remember it. We want them to change. So we hear the word of God, and we say, man, they need that word. Why'd they stay home today? Just because it was raining? This word was for them. Come on, you've never said anything like that, right? <laughs> what about this? Have you ever read a passage of Scripture and, and read it and thought, thought about it maybe in terms of rules and regulations rather than seeing it for the true freedom that it brings? You know, maybe like that one in Hebrews 10.25, I don't think I have it there, but I got it here. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people are, are, are in the habit of doing, but to encourage one another, especially now that the day of the return is drawing near. I've heard people say of that passage, well, I, I can be a Christian and, and not attend church. I don't have to meet with other believers. And in saying that, aren't they really just tossing that scripture out? Some have read it and said, well, that's just legalism. Can I tell you, meeting together is not a chain of bondage. Meeting together brings freedom. Meeting together brings encouragement. Meeting together brings life. I don't, I don't leave church after Sunday and say, well, I got that over with. I hope you don't either. <laughs> I hope that's not what you say when you leave here. Like, phew. Man, I can mark that off my list for the week. Welcoming the Word of God, all the Word of God, it's the starting point for true change in our life. Notice the point Paul makes. He says, you welcomed it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. There are plenty of motivational speakers out there today. There are people like Tony Robbins. He does, he's been motivating people for years, decades, right? He's been encouraging people, challenging people to, to follow their dreams and reach their goals. And the fact is, he's done a great job with it. 
there are, there are some very charismatic people who do an incredible job of using their words to motivate people. And if people will actually act on those words, they can achieve great things. But listen, what they achieve, what they earn, all of those things will go away. In the end, there is no eternal value to achieving some great success in your job. I mean, it's great, and you can use it for great things, but there's no eternal value in it. The words of man can help you grow your retirement, but they cannot bring you salvation. The words of man can motivate people to greatness, but they can't change the heart. You see, Paul says these these people receive the word not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Paul is saying, it may have been me talking, but it was the word of God going forth. Paul makes note of this because there were some of those who believed that he, along with the other apostles, were just telling stories that they were just giving some great advice. And the truth is, today, there are many people who believe the same thing. They look to the Word of God, to the Bible, and they see it as nothing more than stories. And they say it has no relevance for the world we live in today. I'm here to say the words that Paul penned 2,000 years ago are not only relevant today, but they are as life-giving today, life-changing today, as they were the day he wrote them. While Scripture may be words that apostles penned to paper or parchment or whatever they wrote on, they were words given by the Holy Spirit. They They are God's word as if God himself is speaking. And let me tell you, when God speaks, things change. When God speaks, things happen. God said, let there be light. And here we are, how many ever, hundreds of years, thousands of years, millions of years later it may be, depending on whether you're a, a young earth, old earth, middle earth believer, whatever, whatever you are, whenever it was spoken, today stars are still being formed. Light is still being created. From the word of God that went forth. When God speaks, things change. Paul says, when you welcomed it as God's word, and because you received it, because you believed it, he said, it is effectively working in you. In other words, it has brought real change in your life. If you want to see real change in your life, and I'm not talking about a new car, a bigger house, a larger bank account. Listen, there are plenty of people who have large bank accounts that are miserable. There are are people who have more money than they will ever spend in this life, but they have no real joy. But when you receive the word of truth, when you believe it as truth, when when you allow it to work in your life, you will see it make effective work of you. You'll begin to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. When you receive it, you'll see things like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You will see these things in your life. You will see it alive, and guess what? So will others. Others 
will as well. The word says those that the son sets free are what? Free indeed. There's freedom in Christ. On your own, you have had bondage that you could not break. But in him, there is freedom. There is freedom that brings self-control. In him, there is love. In him, there is joy. In him, there is goodness. In him, there is gentleness, faithfulness. There ought to be real change if you are in him. When you're grafted into the vine, you can't produce different, fr different fruit than what the, the plant has. This is what he produces in your life. If you are grafted in him in the word. The fruit of the Spirit was alive and active in the life of the Thessalonians. And these are the things that people noticed about them. They were noticed throughout the region, if you remember, from week number one. See, they're, they're, they were a people who was not kind. They were a people who was not loving. They were a people who had no self-control. But now, there was something different about them. They possessed all of these things. The world around them saw something different. They saw something that made them take notice. And the truth of Scripture active in your life will cause others to take notice as well. If we would do just as Paul said, if we would welcome and believe, then we would see the Word of God effectively at work in our life. See, if you, wel if you welcome the Word, if you believe the Word, you will see change take place. You will see change take place that you could never, ever make happen on your own. How many have tried over and over again? Listen, you can't make yourself good. You can't do it. The heart at its best is wicked. But in him, in him, you can have real change. Kindness, goodness. Man, the world needs that today. It needs a church that is displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Verse number 14 says this. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen. Paul, in writing this, is saying you stood strong even in the face of opposition. There's not a whole lot that hurts more than when we are attacked by people who are we, we are closest to, is there? When you're attacked by the people who you should be able to rely on and count on. When you're attacked by, by friends and family, oftentimes the temptation to quit almost overwhelms us. But listen, we cannot quit. We must continue on. We must remain strong in our faith. We must continue to believe. When it's tough and we feel like nobody would ever understand the depth of the pain that we're going through, we can look to those who have gone on before us. 
we can look to those who have blazed the trail. That's what Paul's saying here. For you became imitators of the church of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. See, they were, they were going through persecution here in this, in this church. And so they looked at a church that had already gone through it. And they said, you know what? If they made it through, we can too. Listen, the, the pain that you're going through, the persecution you're facing, I'm, I'm not saying it's not real. I'm, I am saying, though, you're not alone. There have been those who have gone on before. The writer of Hebrews says there's a great cloud of witnesses who have gone on before us. And church, listen, they are there cheering you on. They've gone on before. In the second century, during the time of the great persecution, the church was led there in Smyrna by a bishop named Polycarp. Many of you are familiar with him. We have documented historical correspondence from the church of Smyrna that mentions Polycarp, as well as letters written by him and to him. One of the interesting things about him, one of the interesting things about Polycarp is this. He was a student of the Apostle John, the same Apostle John that was one of the 12 disciples, the same Apostle John that had the revelation on the Isle of Patmos. So Polycarp was taught by John. And, and as such, he would have read the revelation of John. He would have read the words that said, do not, have, do not be afraid for what you are about to suffer. So, so Polycarp grew up studying the scripture. He received it and he believed it as the word of God. And because of that, it effectively worked in his life. Revelation 2.10 says this, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. But be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. I wonder, as Polycarp witnessed the persecution of the church, how many times he went back to this scripture. How many times he read the words of Jesus that said, do not be afraid, do not fear can only imagine it must have been many times. Now, there are some differing accounts of this story in regards to the, the time frame of when this exactly took place, but all are clear in this fact that Polycarp was killed because he would not renounce the name of Jesus, that he would not renounce him as Lord and Savior. Now, there's an account of his martyrdom. It's in the, what's called the Letter of the Sumerians. And this letter is taken from what is reported as eyewitness accounts of this martyr. The letter says that he was taken into custody and brought into a stadium to be killed. And upon entering the stadium, the, the letter reports this. But as Polycarp entered into the stadium, a voice came to him from heaven. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And no one saw the speaker. But those of our people who were present heard the voice. Now, scholars debate whether or not this was actually heard, but whether or not there was a voice from heaven, I can promise you this, the voice was loud in his head. The voice of the word that says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid for what you are about to suffer. So Polycarp is brought into this place, he's brought into this stadium, and he's asked to recount 
Jesus Christ? And his response was this. 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And at this, he was ordered burned at the stake. And according to the Smyrnian letter, they tied him to the stake, and they normally what they would have done is they would have also nailed his hands to the post. But he said to them, there is no need to nail me. He said, he that granted me to endure the fire will grant me the ability to stand unmoved. And so the reports say in the letter, it says, they lit a fire and went all around him, encircling him, but not touching him. It was then ordered that he be killed with a dagger. Other reports simply say that he was, he was burned alive at the, at the stake. But regardless of how he actually died, history tells us this. As he was tied to the, fa- uh, to the post, facing imminent death, he praises God. Standing in the face of fire, he offers praise to God. I have no doubt that as he stood there, the words of Jesus had to ring in his head. Do not be afraid for what you're about to suffer. That next verse says this, he who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Today, the church is under attack. Here in the U.S., it's under attack by its own countrymen. Turn on the news. There's story after story. Maybe you've seen the... story of a church out in California. It's a Baptist church out there where they've been fined daily over and over again. They've, they've been fined for not having a plan in place, although they've tried to present a plan to the county and the county refuses to accept their plan. They've been fined, according to the county, for not practicing social distancing, although they are. They've been fined last week. I saw it was already over $50,000. Who knows what the, the number is today? The enemy is under, is, the enemy is attacking the church. He will use all means possible to try and stop the church. Even financial threats. Even threats of jail. In verse 18, Paul says this. Therefore, we wanted to come, come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. The enemy, Satan, is still out there today. He's still trying to hinder the church. He sees his days are numbered as the time of Christ's return draws near. He's out there actively working against the church. The enemy is working against the church, and the enemy is working against you. But listen to me. Hear me not as my words, but as the word of God. The truth of the word. Jesus said, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. 
Jesus said, those that the Son sets free are free indeed. And the world around us needs those words. They need to hear those words. They need to see the Word of God actively alive in your life. They need to see joy and gentleness and kindness and self-control. The world doesn't need another motivational speaker with seven surefire ways to help you achieve all you want. The world needs a church that is so full of the love of God, that is so full of the joy of the Lord that it takes notice. The world needs a church that will stand up in the face of persecution and say, I have been a servant of His, and He has done me no wrong. Paul said, you received the Word of God, which you heard from us. The world needs the Word of God. The world needs the Word of God that will affect change in their life. But listen to me, they need you to bring it to them. They need you. Paul says, you heard the word as we delivered it unto you. It took someone bringing to Thessalonica the word of God. It wasn't men's word. It was God's word, but it took a man to bring it. The world needs you. They need you to proclaim the word of God. They need a word that is effective. They need a word that will bring change in their life. They need a word that will bring healing. They need a word that will bring hope. They need a word that will bring, break chains and bring freedom. If you don't bring it, how are they going to hear it? If you don't take it to them, who will? Real quick as I close, look at the last two verses. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. People, people that you bring the gospel message to, the word of God, people that you bring the word of God, who receive it and believe it, those people will become your joy. Those people will become your joy as you see them in the presence of the King when He comes. In the end, all the things of this world will pass away. But the Word of God, but the Word of God will never pass away. In the end, it's only people that you can bring with you. In the end, it's only people who truly matter. So I want to encourage you today. Welcome the Word of God into your life. Receive it. Don't say, man, that was a word for so-and-so. Receive the Word of God. Allow it to affect change in your life. And then carry that word to others. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today.